Welcome to the Superpowers for Good Show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe, and today I'm excited to have with us Richard Boudet, who is the uh, founder and president of Arc Image. Uh, he's a remarkable architect who has done amazing, interesting, of all things, video gaming. So uh, this is going to be a fascinating conversation. Devin, how are you? Thank you for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. It's This is going to be a great conversation. Uh, give us a little bit of a, an overview of your remarkable career. It's just so hard to connect the dots in my mind between yeah. an architect and a video game developer. And yet that's kind of how your career evolved. How did that happen? Uh, it was a strange confluence of, of events. Uh, and I've often had this explanation uh this this discussion with other architects who uh, say richard looks like you're having a lot of fun but it's not architecture uh in fact it is architecture um but the short answer to how we got here is that uh, the, my firm began in 1983 under another name we were early adopters of computers at that time it was computer-aided design computer-aided drafting and we were just co-tailing uh, onto the what was called the computers and architecture revolution at the time. And as we were early adopters, we were getting the attention of uh, new software companies, one of which was Autodesk. We knew the original founders of that company. And we became early alpha and beta test sites for a lot of their products, including their animation software. So one thing led to another. and. Uh, you know, 20 years into our almost 40 year history, we were doing video games. That's the short story, but it's still architecture. Everything that uh, we've done, that I've done, uh, even if it's a video game, uh, we treat uh, as an architectural uh, project. We, we may be creating environments uh, that you navigate through virtually, but they're still the same kind of built environments they would be uh, if they were a physical environment. Yeah, it's uh, it really is fascinating work that you're doing. And uh, some of those video games had some significant purpose. Uh, some of what you developed were games that were designed to help young people, kids, teens, uh, adults and families. Uh, so I think you even had one for single parent moms in the African-American community that was kind of tired of it to help them be more healthy that is such an interesting path for an architect how did you end up doing that remarkable work well again it was one of these you know serendipitous sort of opportunities uh some researchers at baylor college of medicine just down the road from us here in houston um got wind of the work we were doing for computer graphics or in computer graphics we were doing television commercials we had done some work with disney they got word of us and asked if we could help them finish. Uh, at that time, they were doing multimedia behavioral interventions. They didn't call them computer games, but they were uh, behavioral interventions for children targeting uh, improved physical activity and dietary um, behaviors. Uh, they asked if we could help them finish a project, and we said yes, and we became a, basically uh, fast friends and collaborators uh, for another 15 or 20 years, uh, eventually doing true um, personal computer and then eventually um, or uh, uh, iPad or iPhone games. 
but all of which were what the, the genre is called serious video games or games for change. So the idea was to use immersive technology uh, to help persuade people to lead um, more healthful lives. And in the case you, you mentioned about the, the game for moms, these were we were targeting not African-American uh, per se, but uh, any um, old demographics of uh, single parent moms who were having trouble uh, with a child, a young child who was not eating or exercising properly. And it was a parent training video game, basically. Um, but that's that's how it came to be. It's such interesting work as uh, one of the things that uh, is remarkable is you and I have been chatting a little bit before this. We've had a couple of conversations It it, it seems to me that as you reflect on your career in architecture, you've evolved some of your thinking from when you were actively in the process of building buildings. Tell us a little bit about how you reflect on the role of architecture in society and the work that architects are doing today uh, and, and how that may have evolved over your career. One of the, um... The take homes that that I uh, took home from my work with um, uh, researchers at Baylor these were behavior scientists these were psychologists uh, in addition to other you know nutritionists and other uh, specialties and, and subspecialists but uh, the take home that resonated to me uh, was a psychosocial theory of behavior uh, based on uh, uh, how narrative how stories shape what we think and do as a person. Uh, there is a uh, theory of behavior called narrative transportation theory. You can Google it. It's a fascinating inter uh, and interesting sort of topic. But uh, as I as we were weaving narrative transportation theory into the serious games we were developing, uh, it seemed to me that they were quite applicable to normal physical architecture planning and design. And that's what I've been trying to do since uh, Archimage effectively closed as a, as a design studio. Uh, I've been writing about how to apply narrative transportation theory to buildings in the hope of reestablishing architecture as what Victor Hugo once called, this, the author of, of uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the, the great book of humankind. There was a time when, when buildings were storytelling devices. They were the world's first mass communication medium. People came to buildings as much for stories that were carved, embedded, and uh, contained within them as for basic shelter. We've lost that as a profession, as, a, as, the, as the architectural profession over many years, to the point where most buildings are now meaningless to people. Uh, and I think if architects were more aware of narrative transportation theory, uh, they would be able to produce buildings that were more socially meaningful. Interesting. Interesting. It's a, a fascinating, uh, you know, way to think about things. Now, you do a lot of writing now, and uh, I have to admit that uh, one of your pieces really caught my attention, and you and I chatted about this a little bit, and we, we could talk about this for hours, but, but after the... Uh, uh, I'm forgetting the tent, the suburb, but the Miami area uh, tower, the condo tower fell. Yeah. You, you wrote an interesting piece 
and and I think you have lived for some years in a condo project. I've lived almost, I would say, 60, 70 percent of my life in condos. Uh, I live in a condo now uh, and especially in a high rise context. And I lived in a high rise for 20 years, a high rise condo. Uh, you see a fundamental problem that I think is kind of scary. Tell us a little bit about your take on that, because it's just okay. it's a fascinating situation. Well, I wrote an article called Condo Side, uh, Death of a Building Type. Now, we're moving away from video games. We're just talking about, um, but we are talking about behavior. And there are some psychosocial theories of behavior that I see uh, coming into play um, in, the, um, in the operations of an old or an elderly condominium building. And I'm, I'm sitting in one right now. This is my home. Uh, but what happened uh, to uh, the building that collapsed in Florida a little over two years ago, I think now, uh, was that the uh, Homeowner Association Board uh, basically did not act quickly enough uh, on the recommendations of the structural engineers to prevent uh, the collapse. And there are multiple reasons, I think, in, 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 a, in a psychologist's perspective, why they uh could not get their act together they could not convince themselves as a board nor the homeowners of the need and the expense in a timely fashion and i see this happening in in my building and i think if you read online uh certainly many articles that came after the uh the, the collapse uh of that tower uh have shown that uh, most condominium association boards have trouble dealing with uh, big expenses, justifying them, uh, getting them past uh, homeowners. And it's a real problem. And I, I'm of the opinion that, and the reason I called the, bill, uh, the article condo side is that most aging condominiums will not be able to do the kind of uh, maintenance and raise the funds required to do the kind of maintenance that elderly uh, buildings, especially high rises, require to live past 50, 60 years, which is the average length of, uh, of uh, time uh, high rise buildings exist in the United States before they either require a major renovation, something re nearly half of what the original building cost uh, when it was constructed, or they're torn down and something else was put in, in place. So I think the future of high rise condominiums in this country is rather bleak at this time. Yeah, it's uh, it is scary. And having lived in a high rise condo myself, I recognize all the hazards you're talking about. It's so difficult to get a, a, a group of homeowners to uh, assess themselves sufficiently for the, the maintenance and uh, the big repairs that are periodically needed. It's very, very difficult. It's a, like you say, it's a psychosocial dynamic that is, that, that works against the success of the, the project. It's just a fascinating thing to think about. Now, on the upside, I will say that I think my particular building has the potential um, because of the fact of other circumstances, not because of the, uh, of board um, dynamics, but I think we have other things working in our favor, including location, that might allow us to gain the funds necessary to do the big work coming up at the appropriate time. 
it's not a given, but yeah. I think in many ways we are in a better position uh, than some of our contemporaries are in other parts of the country to uh, to withstand uh, what's coming down the road. So I'm this is why I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it is interesting. Well, listen, um, everybody, we are we're here with Richard Boudet today, and uh, he is an extraordinary architect and video game developer, uh, fascinating career. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Richard about his superpower. You don't want to miss this. So stick around. Ever wonder if you can raise money with a community round on WeFunder? It may not be as tricky as you think. You can start right now. Start in under two minutes. Visit wefunder.s4g.biz or scan the QR code to begin. Give it a try. Want to learn from the world's great changemakers? Find your superpower. Subscribe to the Superpowers for Good newsletter at superpowersforgood.com. Make your strengths into superpowers that will change the world. Join the super crowd today. Superpowers number four good.com. Join us at Supercrowd Baltimore to connect with community-focused business leaders and investors working to support diverse founders, social entrepreneurs, and community builders. Learn how to raise money from the crowd and how to invest like a pro. March 21st at the B&O Rail Museum. Register today at thesupercrowd.com. Well, welcome back, everyone. We are uh, here with Richard Boudet, and we're having just a fascinating conversation with him. Super accomplished uh, entrepreneur, architect, video game developer, social change maker, writer, author, just a fascinating guy. I wish we had all day, but uh, we're, we're going to shift gears a little bit and, and talk to Richard about his superpower. Richard, you really have accomplished a lot, uh, just an amazing career and, and just some extraordinary diversity of things that you've been able to do and connect. What do you see as your superpower? I would, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a good question. It's a funny topic. I mean, it's a funny word to apply uh, to, to something that has propelled at least me through my career trajectory. But um, I would say it's the ability, and it's not just me. I think most architects are, are trained uh, to do two things. Um, one is the obvious. We are trained to, uh, in deductive reasoning, in which is, most people are, but it's, it's sort of a, an overt uh, training that happens in architectural school. To, to look at a problem, uh, study different solutions. You could do it this way, you could do it that way, and then deduce the best solution to the problem, and that's deductive reasoning. But we are also trained uh, and this is the, what I have used in what is called inductive reasoning. And in inductive reasoning, what, you, what, what happens is that you're given a solution and you say, now, what problem can I solve with this? And that's, all, that's upside down thinking to a lot of people. But it's basically what we've been able uh, to do. What I've done it with everything, every new technology that's landed on my desk, you know, I pick it up and go, wow, I don't know what the heck to do with this, but I'm going to try to find something. And that has led us to all these different directions that you're, you're, you're describing. Uh, the curiosity uh, and the opportunities that uh, inductive reasoning will take you. Yeah, that is a, a, a really interesting superpower. And I don't know that I've ever had a, 
I guess, you know, there are some themes that, that develop as I talk to hundreds and hundreds of people about their superpowers. And I, I think that's the first time I've heard that kind of response. As you think about your abilities in that way, what, what would you say is uh, an example of how you might have overcome a challenge, faced a challenge and overcome it using that particular superpower? Well, um, that's something I have to think a little bit on. Uh, I mean, I think all of the uh, all of the, all, all of the computer animation we've done. You know, we were early adopters of micro computers in in architecture, uh, which got us all kinds of odd um, commissions, including doing station identification graphics for local television commercials. We were working on uh, Walt. Buena Vista's work for Walt Disney, uh, and of course Disney has its own animators, but we were brought in uh, because we had an architect's eye that we could apply to the animation that was needed uh, for those kinds of projects. Uh, but our whole path from standard architectural planning and designing, working with buildings and interiors, uh, to virtual environments, you know, cities, societies living inside of a computer, came about because uh, we were uh, trying to find ways to apply our new technology to new kinds of projects. Uh, and after a while, we started thinking along those lines. Uh, we had a, a tagline to the firm for many years called designing what's next. Uh, and that basically spoke to the idea that we were trying to get ahead of the curve and design it. Uh, before many times we knew exactly how best to employ it. That's it really is remarkable how you were able to to do that. Just such a leading edge player in in so many different aspects of technology implementation and advancement. So it's it's really cool to think think through that. If you were trying to coach someone to develop that skill to be able to uh, apply that in their own lives, in their profession, in their work. What would you coach them to do to, to develop that ability? Well, I think inductive reasoning is a uh, skill set that you can learn. Uh, I'm sure one could Google and find, um, you know, uh, some kind of ideas on how to sort of uh, draw that talent <clears throat> out of you and how to practice it. Uh, so that is something I think uh, any inquisitive mind would, would, would latch onto pretty quickly. Uh, I would say also that if, you're, if your desire is to change the world in some small ways uh, and, you want to, and you need to do that by changing what people think and do, and of course, this, you don't have to be looking at this from a society um, improvement perspective. You could look at, be looking at this as a marketing and sales perspective because uh, you know, advertising companies are very much aware of what people think, how to shape what people think and do. So you can look at it from a business sense. Um, but the power of narrative persuasion, narrative transportation theory, is a very, very powerful tool that can be used for both good and bad. Uh, and I, I, would, I would suggest that uh, people who are looking really to make an impact uh, on people study narrative transportation theory. Um, it was developed uh, or it was uh, sort of uh, authored by uh, 
Melanie Green and a person by the name of uh, Brock, who's sadly passed away. But um, I think it's one of the most important uh, avenues of uh, potentially doing good for society uh, that we have in front of us that really no one knows about except creative writers, except the novelists, uh, the people who know how to spin a yarn, how to tell the story. They understand what psychologists have documented here and they know it intuitively. But for everybody else, I think it's really worth a, a study. Yeah, that's great counsel, great counsel. Uh, Richard, you've you've done so much, uh, but some of your work today is really focused, I think, on, on writing. Tell us a little bit about how people can track down the things that you're writing these days so that they can uh, read some of the things I've read about uh, that you've written recently that are really fascinating. Well, I mean, most of my architect-themed, architecture-themed uh, articles uh, that, ha that are connected to my belief in uh, narrative transportation theory, I, I, I sort of coined a banner called persuasive architecture, architecture that is more than shelter, but architects, architecture that persuades people toward an improved um, behavior of some kind. Uh, I've been publishing a lot on a website called commonedge.org. And if you scroll through the articles of commonedge.org, you will find my name. Uh, and if you click on my name, you'll get a list of all the articles that I've written for that publication. Uh, but there are other places, archdaily.com. Uh, I've written for you know the, the glossies, uh, the architectural journals, uh, Texas Architect, Progressive Architect in its days, or Progressive Architecture in its days. But Probably the place to go these days would be commonedge.org. Well, fantastic. As you, as we wrap up here, I wonder if you just take a minute and tell people how they can otherwise learn more about your work uh, and and connect with you uh, to to uh, you know explore opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mean, our website archimage.com uh, is sort of a uh, historical. Uh, look at the work we've done over the years. Uh, there's a nice uh, Wikipedia entry on the firm. Uh, if you just look under Archimage in Wikipedia, uh, if you just Google my name, Richard Boudet, you'll probably find find all kinds of references to to work and or articles. Uh, and if anybody really wants to contact me or talk about this, I'm happy to chat at any time. Uh, just write to me at rboudet at archimage.com and I will respond. Um, I, I'm always happy to uh, to talk to interested folks. Well, uh, Richard, we really thank you for taking the time to to be with us today, and and really want to commend you for the the extraordinary career that you've had, and uh, wish you continued success as you continue to be a thought leader in in uh, across a spectrum of issues, but especially in the world of architecture. We, we want to see you continue to succeed and help shape the world in, in positive ways. My pleasure, Devin, and thank you very much for having me. All righty. Now, let's do some good.